This is Observations Q&O Podcast for Friday, September 17th, 2021. I just want to point out that I hit the post exactly on this song, by the way. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Dale Franks. Michael? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm... <laughs> <laughs> I thought you had paused there. This is Michael Wade. Hi. How you that, do- that song was really weird. I was like, <laughs> what are you doing here? It's like some sort of cyberpunk thing. Yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a song that's got a dirty little beat to it, my friend. Very, uh, it's it's a electronic alternative metal, I think. How many genres can a one song be? <laughs> uh, well, it's been quite a week, and I, I hardly know where to start, quite frankly, because so much has... Uh, so much has been announced over just the last day alone. Yeah, maybe it's easier to work backwards. Yeah, maybe. I kind of wish Bruce was here. He's feeling a little under the weather because I did want to talk about Mark Milley with Bruce. I think I already know what his opinion on Mark Milley is going to be. Yeah. Um, but um, And I know that you're not a, 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 a specialist in the UCMJ. Um, but boy, it's it's... The initial report in the excerpt from Bob Woodward's book makes Millie look and, and look. I don't. I don't know whether he was just trying to be the big man on the campus for uh, Bob Woodward, or whether he actually did go off the reservation uh, against President Trump. Um, I, I don't know. Um, if you read Bob Woodward's book, it sounds as if. Um, Mark Milley just went off on his own and decided to call the Chicoms and tell them, hey, don't worry, we're not going to attack you and I'll let you know before we do. Um, which would be a bad thing. What, uh, <laughs> what the Department of Defense is saying now is that uh, this call was set up on the first of the month. It was coordinated with the Office of the Department of the Secretary of Defense on the... Uh, Seventh of the month, I believe, uh, two days prior to the call, there was a meeting uh, with the OSD that solidified what the talking points would be at that meeting. Uh, And then Millie actually handled the call. Uh, The next day, the Deputy uh, Secretary of Defense spoke with the Chinese Deputy Defense Minister. And then the next day, uh, General Millie and General Lee spoke. And so... Millie's argument is, hey, we do this all the time, and this was all cleared with the SecDef uh, or his office, and so there is no impropriety here. We all knew what we were going to say, and we said what we were going to say. Yeah, well, it is interesting. They they haven't denied any of the allegations as far as timing and uh, who spoke to whom. Um, they're trying to spread the blame uh, and say, hey, this is all sanctioned. This is normal. But none of them have actually said anything about the substance of the comments. And that's to me is I agree. Look, I mean, I don't know why the chairman of the um, uh, Joint Chiefs of Staff would be doing this, but I, I can at least see it, uh, you know, being possible. Um, 
and not out of the ordinary. Yeah, I mean, but, defense, the chiefs of the defense staff, or whatever they're called in the various countries, I mean, they do talk to each other. They do have these calls. Yeah, so that that that's, you know, not that big a deal. And that's not the problem. The problem is what was said. And if it is true that uh, there is a transcript of this, then I want to see that transcript. And if he did indeed give something to the effect or say something to the effect of, if we're going to attack, I'm going to call you first. It won't be a surprise. I have a hard time seeing how that uh, shouldn't result in an immediate court martial. That is a policy statement. That is uh, a policy statement that, by the way, contravenes decades of American policy. We have, in fact, refused to even make a no first strike guarantee promise. That's right. And for, for nuclear weapons, of, for goodness sakes. Yeah. And on top of that, I, I don't really hear anything uh, about what they've tried to uh, about the conversation with uh, the senior officers that he had, that Millie had, um, saying that, you know, no launching of any nuclear codes or any other things unless, you know, you come through me first. Well, there are two problems with that. One, uh, yes, uh, I was, that, I, that, I, that undermines the, the, the chain of command. And two, Millie's not in the chain of command. That is correct. That is the important point to make. General Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and indeed the Chiefs of Staff of the various services, the Commandant of the Marine Corps, Chief of Naval Operations, Chief of Staff Air Force, they are prohibited by law, by federal law, from exercising command authority. Exactly. And the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff is the president's senior military advisor. He sits on the side of the chain of command in a purely advisory role to the president. He does not have the authority to tell anyone that he gets to approve. Uh, well, he doesn't get to approve anything. He doesn't not only just not get to approve nuclear attacks, he doesn't get to approve com- conventional attacks. He has no right. command authority whatsoever. Exactly. So that's, I mean, I mean, technically, if he actually did this, if this is exactly what happened, uh, then I mean, that's, that's technically a military coup. Uh, Article 90, is it 92 or 93? I think it's 92 and 103. I think he's got two felony charges that could be levied on him. And I'm also kind of curious, you know, what they brought up, well, it was done with, uh, you know, the office of the secretary of defense. Okay. Well, let's talk to him too. I mean, Miller, well, I get, it was still, um, um, Pompeo, I guess at the, or no, he was at state. No, it was Pompeo um, was at state. Uh, whoever, it was somebody else right before that. And they left, uh, right after the election and, and as Chris Miller, uh, was acting, um, secretary of defense. And he claimed that he didn't know what, uh, Millie was discussing. Um, yeah, he, he's but, declined any knowledge of it. Right. So, you know, it's a he said, he said thing. Well, yeah, I'm not about to put it past Miller to be one of the bad guys, too. So if they coordinated in this, it, it makes it even a bigger scandal. Well, see, here's the thing. It wouldn't matter how much coordination was done uh, with the Office of the Secretary of Defense. 
if the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff were to, in fact, let's say, call um, the chief of the, the defense staff in the UK and call him and say, we just, and, and, and even if it was coordinated with the Office of Secretary of Defense, if he calls up and says, hey, you know, I think we ought to go to war with you. You guys are bad, and I think we ought to attack you. Um, okay, the, the the process would have been properly done, but that would certainly not be a policy message that the United States would want to send. Uh, that is not his job, and policy statements are not his purview. Yeah, exactly. So, well, I mean, so I find it interesting that the the defense of that, that Millie's defense of of the call is that well, this was all properly coordinated and and all of the pr- processes were followed right down the line. Yeah, that's not really the thing we have a problem with, General. Yeah, exactly, and that's what I mean. They they keep going back to process and not talking about substance, and it's the substance of the issue that really uh, is what matters. And the substance of this call was basically the general making policy for the United States, as far as I can tell. If, of course, what is what is reported in the Woodward book is true, and that's the problem. These people talk to Woodward, and there seems to be a tendency among his interviewees to try to put themselves in the best possible light uh, and to make themselves look like, you know, they're pretty darned important people and they were making these decisions bravely and stalwartly. That may not, in fact, be what was said in the call. That just may be, you know, Millie trying to make himself look good in front of Woodward. Okay, that still makes Mark Millie an asshole, but it doesn't make him uh, seditious. So <laughs> I right. think I, I, I think we need to know the substance of that call. Uh, and I, I think we do, absolutely. If they're, apparently, uh, according to you know what I've been reading and hearing, uh, there were other people on this call, which would be normal, um, especially if the process was being followed. And uh, there should be a transcript. There should be a, a readout of some sort. Well, um, over and above that, somehow Nancy Pelosi was involved in all this. Yep. yep. Talk about somebody who's not in the chain of command. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Basically, suborning sedition. <laughs> I mean, what's, what, I, I, uh, yeah. The, the thing that I, I think would is a defense of Millie, at least from, you know, uh, just a perspective that. He had to know how these. If if he uh, said that he if he really did tell Woodward uh, that he said these and Costa that he he said these things, he'd have to know that's going to come out and that's going to cause problems, right? I mean he he should know that he was under if the if he was describing accurately and and Woodward and Costa have described it accurately, uh, he'd have to know that. Those are, are major violations. I mean, and there would come out in the woodwork. So is he that stupid? Is he that arrogant? I mean, clearly this story was set up and, you know, it's not like Woodward and Costa know what's going on. They are making it look like he was a hero. And that's how the left is treating him, right? That, well, he yeah, saved well, us he- from nuclear war. Yeah, exactly. He stood up to President Trump and, and, you know, 
basically reassured the Chinese and ensured that we wouldn't have... We need heroes like this man. I've got bad news for you. That's not our system of government. Our system of government is not a system of heroes who step in when things go off the rails to fix things. Um, As Alexander Vindman uh, wrote in the Washington Post of all people... Uh, we are best served when institutions are our guardrails, not depending on individual saviors. And Vindman's position, same as mine, is this story, if true, means that Millie needs to be court-martialed immediately. Yeah. And relieved of, and, well, you can't relieve him of command, but he needs to be removed from the chief, uh, the joint, joint chief of staff. staff. Yeah, he should, he should have been fired a while ago. Uh, certainly after the Afghanistan fiasco. Um, and th- this coming out now, it, I don't understand how he can hold anybody's confidence. I mean, it's it's just beyond the pale at this point. Well, and I have a funny feeling that the, he... The, the president says he has full confidence in General Milley. Yeah, that's often uh, the preceding move before... <laughs> The person has <laughs> gained the confidence. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm going to spend more time with my family. And <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I'm kind of curious as, as to how that part will shake out. Um, I'm really curious to see uh, these transcripts. And you know what's interesting, too, about that now how he's being treated like a hero of the left. I remember back in the 80s when uh, I, th- I guess it was right after Reagan was shot. And Bush was on an airplane and the press is demanding, who's in charge? Who's in charge? And chief of staff, Alexander Haig was like, don't worry about it. I'm in charge. I'm like, wait, what? Is but wait a, a second. No, he wasn't chief of staff at the time. He was secretary of state. He was secretary of state. Okay. Right. So he, but what he said was the vice president is in the air. I am in charge here at the white house. Um, he didn't mean he was president of the United States, right? But, um, it, but the media was, wet themselves. Yeah, it was certainly inartfully phrased, and yeah, I think ultimately that led to his uh, removal as Secretary of State as well. But it was, it was just like I, I remember when they went batshit crazy back then, just because, he, like you said, he said something very inartfully, and he was just trying to maintain the calm. It wasn't like he was going to start ordering things (laughs) his point was look i'm here at the white house i'm looking over what's going on here locally the vice president is in the air he's been informed i'm just holding down the fort here until the vice president gets back that's basically all he was saying and and i think at the at that point uh the secretary of defense was also out of town so yeah it was was something weird yeah so he he happened to be the senior cabinet member in washington dc Right. And he did precisely uh, what I would have done, head over to the White House and see what I could do to help. Right. And it it wasn't that big, but oh my God, the freak out was amazing. And now you have this guy who uh, uh, supposedly, allegedly is claiming that, oh yeah, no, I just cut the president out. He was too dangerous. Uh, And so I'm, I was in charge. Like, oh, he's a hero, an absolute hero. Look, for, for, for better for better or for worse, if the American if the American people elect a madman to be president of the United States and he decides to push the button, well look, you can resign, General Milley, but if the president says push the button, you push the 
freaking button or you walk. Um, what you don't do is tell everybody if the president wants to push the button, um, you have to clear anything the president orders through me. That's not his job. It it does remind me, however, and, and I, I, I can't help but think this is where he might got the idea of uh, the Secretary of Defense uh, in 1974, just prior to Richard Nixon's uh, resignation, when Richard Nixon was apparently walking around drunkenly at the in the White House every night. Uh, as his entire administration was was collapsing and the House was voting on impeachment procedures, the Secretary of Defense said, any order that you get from the president, please pass it by me and the chairman of the Joint Chiefs before executing it to let us get a look at what's going on uh, because the president is not very stable. Uh, why they didn't invoke the 25th Amendment? Well, well that was already happening anyway. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that was kind of a special situation. Um, but uh, as one of our uh, as one of our listeners uh, wrote in chat, the fact that Millie believed Trump had a high probability to launch a nuclear strike out of the blue does not speak well of his overall grip on reality. Um, whatever else that's you exactly say, right. Whatever you you know, want to say about Donald Trump, um, one thing that you can't say is that he was uh, eager to have people killed on his watch. He was the least bellicose president we've had since Carter. But, you know, in a good way. <laughs> I mean, he, he did not expand any wars. He was trying to shut down um, uh, arenas of war. Um, he'd been trying to pull out of Afghanistan for a while, and his generals were undermining him there, um, lying to him and, and whatever. I mean, talk about it, uh, usurping the chain of command. Um, you know, he'd been trying all that stuff forever. He, he, you know, he did, uh, bomb a few specific targets, but based on specific actions and he wasn't, he didn't put any more boots on the ground. Um, he didn't expand any theaters and he didn't go looking for more places <laughs> to, uh, uh, do war. So yeah, so, the, the, the idea that he would do that is, is beyond the pale. Well, that, see, and that brings us to my theory about Millie, which is that after doing everything that they could to resist Trump on withdrawing from Afghanistan and getting away with it, by the way, um, yeah. outright lying to the president about what they were doing when they were doing no such thing. Um, if you get away with doing that stuff for a while, you begin to feel like you're invincible. And maybe he just began to feel like he was invincible. Yeah, it's very possible. I mean, certainly uh, within the Washington establishment, he would have been um, and kind of still is. Um, and certainly with the media. I mean, nobody's calling him out. Well, he matter has fact, a, they're throwing out defenses of him. Well, he has a, a, a scheduled appearance before the uh, before Congress. Uh, coming up in a, a couple of weeks, or I guess about a week now, actually. I think it's the 23rd, so not not even a week, um, where he was supposed to be discussing uh, the withdrawal from Afghanistan. I expect that that conversation is now going to be expanded to include other topics. Possibly. Possibly. So we'll uh, have to keep a watch on that this week, but this is not a story that looks like it's going away, especially with so many you know, former and retired uh, 
senior officers and certainly many junior officers just saying this is a, he needs to be court-martialed now. So uh, there clearly needs to be some sort of investigation. Now, whether there'll be one, I I don't know. But I, I tell you what, if I'd been at that meeting and and – of course, you know, one of the reasons why I got out of the military was my increasing inability to uh, do what I was told by idiots. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I got out before I, you know, <laughs> got out by other means. I got out with an honorable discharge instead of something bad. Um, I, I, and if Millie had come in and said, look, if the president gives you order X, you clear that order through me. I literally would have stood up and said, General, not only will I not obey that order, it is illegal, and I will be going to the staff judge advocate immediately um, to uh, report you for a violation of the UCMJ. Well, that's what you're supposed to do. And that's what that's what I would have done. Four stars? You're, you can kiss my ass with your four fucking stars. Yeah, especially when you're not even in the chain of command. Yeah, you're not in the chain of command. You don't have the authority to give that order, General. I'm not going to obey it. What do you think of that? Oh, and by the way, I'm going to the staff judge advocate to uh, ask that they press charges against you. And now, that would clearly be a career-ending move, and I would end my career happily doing that. Well, I mean... I came close to it for a lot less. <laughs> and I'm actually really shocked that none of these senior officers have come forward. Yeah, me too. So, I, but, you know, having said that, the current crop of, of general officers that we have does not inspire a huge degree of confidence at this particular point in time. Yeah, apparently. And so I think for that, we'll leave it because I want to move over to another legal issue that uh, we have been following for a long time and that you are perhaps uh, more interested in speaking to, and that is the news today that uh, the John Durham probe, you remember John Durham, don't you? The guy three years ago that was going to get to the bottom of all this Russia gate stuff. As it turns out, he's still alive. Uh, and he, <laughs> he indicted Michael Sussman today um, uh, for accusing him of lying to the FBI. And um, we haven't heard much about Durham. And quite frankly, if it were not for the fact that we were only a couple of days for the statute of limitations for this charge to run out, I don't think he would have charged him either. So, well, I, I don't know. Maybe not. This seems like a this seems like a charge that uh, he was kind of forced to file uh, because the statute it would have been more than it would have been four years. The statute of limitations would have run out, and he wouldn't have been able to charge him with anything. So. So now we have the crazy conspiracy theory that I've concocted in my mind, which is that, okay, he was forced to file this. He's got other things. This is not something he would have preferred to have done if it was not under the pressure of time for the statute of limitations. And therefore, there must be a really, you know, silent waters run deep or still waters run deep. And John Durham has been pretty still water for the last three years. Yeah, I expect that in order to uh, keep the pressure on. I mean, I'm assuming that what's been going on is they've been negotiating some sort of deal uh, where, um, you know, Sussman would, you know, basically call out the higher ups and they worked their, their way up the food chain uh, as he started rolling. And then you roll the next level and then you roll the next level. Um, 
And then they had to get this indictment on the books or else they, they wouldn't be able to keep that pressure on. So now the clock is ticking because once the indictment is filed, you know, you can't keep putting it off forever, you know, speedy uh, uh, trial and all that. So, you know, Sussman's under the gun here. And I, I, I'm sure that he's already been apprised of the parameters of his uh, testimony and, you know, what they need from him. Uh, they probably let him know that we already know some of this stuff. Why don't you fill us in on all of it? Well, so, the, the trouble yeah. is, is that whether he filled them in or not, I don't know. But what I do know is that he pled not guilty today. So apparently he's going to fight this. So certainly doesn't look as if any sort of deal was reached. Well, no, no deal has been reached. But um, pleading not guilty is pro forma. Of course, they now have the opportunity to reach one. Right. Exactly. Whereas, and they could have reached one before, but since they hadn't yet, he still had to file the indictment to keep it alive. So, so here we have here we have a guy who used to be at the FBI, and by the way, that is how he knew um, uh, Bruce Baker. Orr. Uh, no, not Bruce Orr. Oh, um, Jim Baker. That's right. Uh, yeah, with uh, Jim Baker, who's the FBI's general counsel now, um, or at the time. And, of course, Sussman had been at the FBI. He had left. He'd gone to Perkins Coy. But, of course, he knew Baker, so he meets with Baker. Now, he works for Perkins Coy, who represents both Hillary Clinton and the Democratic National Convention. And he passes this information on to Baker and says, oh, but I don't know anything about this. Uh, I don't know anything. I'm not doing this on behalf of any client or anything. It's just information that I ran across. Well, the reason that he ran across it is because Perkins Coy had gotten that information from the Hillary Clinton campaign through uh, that Steele fella. Um, so and Mark Elias. Yeah, and Mark Elias. So, okay, uh, now it looks like there is this, um, there's like this circular flow of information from Hillary Clinton to Perkins Coy to the FBI, back to Perkins Coy and back to the Hillary Clinton campaign. And so it begins to look, at least on the surface, if one was cynical, as if there was a conspiracy that involved both the Hillary Clinton campaign, senior lawyers at Perkins Coy, and senior lawyers at the Federal Bureau of Investigation. As hard as that is to believe. <laughs> well, it is. It, I mean, look, we already know how this worked. I mean... There's been enough investigative reporting done by some people. Um, I would uh, certainly call out uh, Chuck Ross and, and uh, Lee Smith for doing a lot of it, although there there have been a, quite a number of good investigative journalists on this. Um, <clears throat> so we, we really do know what ha- happened. We don't know all the details. They're a bit fuzzy, but, you know, the, the dots are pretty easy to connect especially the way they behaved, uh, the lies we know they told, um, and why they told them. Uh, and then, you know, their, their actions afterwards. So this is, it's, it's not a really tough thing to, to figure out, but to prove and to get the facts out there into a court of law is a different matter. Yeah, well, that's what, that's what courts are for, to find out that information. Well, or suppress it. Or, or suppress it. <laughs> uh, 
find out about that. But boy, there was hmm, there was a lot of stuff going on there. Uh, oh yeah, th- th- this th- I mean, this is barely the tip of the spear. And the thing is that this uh, so the only person um, you, who has gotten any consequences out of this whole RussiaGate thing was that guy uh, Kevin Kleinsmith who altered emails to make it look like, um, uh, who was it? Uh, Carter page, um, ha- was not an informant for the CIA and a helpful informant for the CIA. Uh, and so that they could keep that FISA warrant going. Um, he, you know, pleaded to some deal, but that, that could get ripped up. Um, or, new charges brought against him uh, depending on what they get out of Sussman. And then of course, trying to go up through the chain, um, you know, to Mark uh, Elias, uh, to uh, Glenn, what's his face for, uh, uh, what is it? GPS. What's the name of that? Uh, It's Um, been so long. Is it GPS? Something GPS begins with an F. Fusion GPS. That's Fusion GPS. I I forgot that piece. That is correct because Fusion GPS to the Clinton campaign, to Perkins Coy, to the FBI, and back around again. Right. And then, you know, Bruce Orr and his wife. I mean, (laughs) there's there are quite a cast of characters here. And let's not forget our our buddy uh, Stroke and uh, his girlfriend. Yeah, no. I'm, I'm going to make an assumption here. Um, the one assumption, I, a couple of assumptions. The first assumption, uh, I've already said, I don't think this would have been indicted if the statute of limitations hadn't been about to run out. It came as a surprise because nobody's heard from John Durham for three years, which brings mm-hmm. me to my second theory. I don't believe that John Durham has spent three years on an investigation that is going to end up with Michael Sussman getting a charge of lying to the FBI. Right. That's, I I absolutely agree with you, especially it's, I mean, it's not a minor charge, but in comparison to the severity of, of the actions uh, taken. Yeah. It's a process charge. Right. Yeah. It's a 1001 with lying to the, you know, FBI. So I'm 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 going to assume that there is more to come, and that uh, we are well. I'm not going to be surprised by what we find out, but many people are going to be shocked shocked to learn that there was gambling going on here. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, I mean, these people talk about living in, and you know, we've talked about this for a long time about living in two different realities. You know, it's funny. I'll, I'll go and kind of uh, stalk on on not stalk, uh, what do they call it? Lurk on, um, on Twitter. And, you know, I, I follow like some, a, a lot of different people just cause I, I kind of want to hear what everybody's saying. And I mean, the left is just completely convinced that Russian collusion happened, that, uh, nobody ever got to see the Mueller report, which I believe you can buy on Amazon. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, they printed it as a book for Christ. <laughs> that, uh, you know, uh, the whole bank thing with the alpha bank thing with the Trump campaign, that that was um, covered up. Um, and again, these are the same people who a year ago were saying, I'm not taking that damn vaccine. Are you kidding me? 
how do you trust the CDC? How do you trust the FDA when Bush is uh, making all these crazy claims and, and doing all this stuff? And then within like six months, like, how can you not get the vaccine? You What's must be forced to take this vaccine. Right. It's it's literally the same vaccine. Mm-hmm. Oh, you mean the Trump vaccine? <laughs> yeah, which I believe we should call it, by the way, the Trump vaccine. <laughs> right. <laughs> Just to see their heads explode. I, you know, uh, I, I should do that on Twitter. I should go on Twitter and make a, make a post that says, you know what? I don't know about the rest of you guys who've, who've, uh, given up, but I still don't trust the Trump vaccines. <laughs> oh, that's good. That could be fun. You got a hashtag Trump vaccine. <laughs> we'll get that baby trending. <laughs> That would be hilarious if, if, if we could. <laughs> Speaking uh, of COVID, well, now that we apparently have switched subjects, um, the FDA, in a big middle finger to the Biden administration today, <laughs> three days prior to the planned rollout of the big booster shots of the vaccine, or the, depending on your point of view, uh, genetic alteration serum, um and and mind control 5g um in, in enabler um they uh, just by a vote of uh, 16 to 2 said yeah we're um we're not going to recommend boosters for anybody uh they did come well, back I, and I, recommend them for for people at risk over i believe over 80 uh 65 and older oh, 65 and, okay and and anybody who's younger and has uh a compromised immune system, but yeah, you're right. So, and this is just par for the course when it comes to the Biden administration announces this big new thing like the mandate or boosters um, without having done any, any of the work, coming up with no plan to put into action. Uh, they said, "Oh yeah, now we're going to start requiring boosters." And he's he's going to do this by next week, and. FDA was like they were telling them, yeah, we really we don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> and of course, WHO is screaming at them, no boosters, because you know, well, it's a limited you know, supply. Two of the senior um, scientists at the FDA resigned mm-hmm. over this whole booster issue, and then wrote an open letter that got published in the Lancet for cripe's sake about how bad an idea this was. Yep. So and now they clearly felt seriously enough about it. My question is, and while it is fun to laugh at Joe Biden, and indeed has been for the last half century, um, that's not the thing that primarily interests me. I think the thing that primarily interests me is, what does this tell us about the vaccines at a time when we know that the efficacy of these vaccines declines over time? In fact, apparently fairly precipitously by half in, in the space of about six or eight months. Um, that's a bit concerning. And it doesn't appear to stop transmission. I, well, it certainly doesn't stop it. It slows it, but it certainly doesn't appear to stop transmission from the vaccinated to the vaccinated or unvaccinated. Um, this is looking a lot less like a a vaccine than it does a therapeutic treatment. 
Uh, yeah, well, it's not a prophylactic, but it's it's. I guess it's sort of a prophylactic. I mean, it yeah, it doesn't. Well, it, and it's hard to tell what it does and doesn't do because the messaging is all over the fucking place. Like, get the vac- get, get the vaccine. This the only way we'll survive is get the vaccine. And if you don't get the vaccine, you unvaccinated you know, goons. Well, you're just endangering the vaccinated. We have to get you vaccinated to protect the vaccinated. What? <laughs> I, yeah, I, so the vaccines work, and that's why you need to get it so you don't give it to the people who had the vaccines, which works. What? <laughs> like, it doesn't even make any sense. Yeah. Well, you know, it, again, it goes back to that thing that, uh, well, you know, Joy Reid said it uh, uh, today, I think. She was defending her... Um, uh, hypocrisy hypocrisy saying well of course i wouldn't get it when trump ran the place because that was he was running the fda i can trust the biden administration okay it's the same vaccine it's literally the same vaccine that the trump administration had on track for approval um and now you're for it but you were against it when trump was in charge but now that biden's in charge you're for it even though it's the same vaccine that tells me that your opposition or opposition or support for the vaccine is based on I, purely ideological reasons without any scientific or medical basis at all uh, to inform your opinion. And that and what was, has been the overall problem since March of last year. Yes. Yeah. The constantly, uh, uh, swirling explanations and directives and recommendations it's there's no there's no consistency and and they seem contradictory well they are contradictory at times and often quickly contradictory uh the the way they're talking about the vaccine now is that it's you know the only way you're going to survive if you don't take it you're going to die well that flies in the face of the fact that uh 99.8 percent of people who get covid survive it um so that doesn't make much sense well no that's and, not uh, entirely true i mean that's an overall average but you've got to think about the elderly um because they are dying I and mean, their survival rate is only 99.4 percent no that's true that's true we should go with the least common denominator there <laughs> but yeah because that's it, much scarier right <laughs> And then they keep talking about how uh, we have to protect children. That's why they need to wear masks as young as two. And it's like, but we already have this science on that. It says that kids, they're not, uh, uh, they don't really get it. And if they do, they don't really spread it. And it's not dangerous to them. Matter of fact, lightning strikes are more dangerous. Yeah, that's the one thing that gets me. Uh, I think the, the Biden administration yesterday, uh, Joe Biden came out and said, you know, I have to protect uh, the unvaccinated, especially children. Children are, uh-huh. are, are for all practical intents and purposes, largely immune to this disease. Yes. They're actually much uh, in, in more threat from flu, just regular old flu. Yeah. So whenever I, I think this is a general rule that has, has been solidified, well, since the 1980s at least, that the second somebody talks about it's for the children, um, I immediately turn out or tune yeah. out. Yeah, I mean, it's just become preposterous. And they're, they're killing these kids. I mean, there's already studies showing that how behind uh, 
especially young children are um, developmentally uh, behind because they, they don't see faces. They can't read reactions. They, they don't, they have trouble understanding things. They have trouble, uh, um, you know, knowing what somebody's mood is. I mean, all these little things that you pick up from uh, facial cues, they, they, they're not getting them. Um, by the way, let's not forget the rate of uh, juvenile suicide. Yes, that's right. Which has spiked rather precipitously. And actually, just before uh, I got on the podcast, I was reading about, and I, it, it didn't even occur to me, um, but how many deaf people are who read lips, and that's really you know, the way they have to communicate because most people don't know a sign language. Um, they, they're just getting battered here. <laughs> like, yeah, I saw a story. They, they, I saw a story earlier this week about a, a deaf woman who went in and was asking someone to remove their mask so she could read their lips. And apparently they just went completely batshit on her. Yeah. And, and that's, uh, I mean, look, I mean, I, I don't want to make that big a deal out of it, but it's, it's, you know, it's another log on the fire. Yeah, well, but on the opposite side, the same thing is true. There was a story today uh, with video because, boy, there's nothing like watching a, a, a video of crazy people. Um, three women from Texas attacking a hostess uh, outside of a New York restaurant because she was directing them to wear their masks in the restaurant. They <laughs> clearly uh, objected to that request. Yeah, you just turn around and walk away. <laughs> yeah, well, it's not that hard. Yeah, well, instead of turning around and walked away, the three women decided to physically attack the young lady. Yeah, that's that's bullshit too. Yeah, but I mean, that's what the government but, wants. I mean, that's what they they want us pitted against each other. And everything the government has done for the last sixteen months seems to be very fairly precisely calculated to make us crazier than rats in a coffee can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, well, they've tried to make the unvaccinated a political issue by claiming it's, uh, you know, a bunch of redneck hicks, uh, Trump supporters who, uh, you know, just hate black people and, and whatever else. And that those are the people who are unvaccinated. And it's because of Donald Trump, of course, um, who ha developed the vaccines <laughs> and has been encouraging people to get them. Uh, when it turns out that the the group that's uh, least likely to be vaccinated demographically are black people followed very closely by people with PhDs, <laughs> which is interesting. I mean, that's what makes this whole thing so crazy. Look, it's been crazy. I, I, I made a little comment on Twitter about COVID today, about you know some of the, the news that was coming out. And um, one of my followers responded to me and said, this disease just confuses the F out of me. Yeah. Well, you know what? You're not the only one. It's confusing the F out of the, the CDC, the NIH, the FDA. Um, everybody is confused about it, which I think is what makes these authoritative statements that then have to be walked back or just completely uh, refuted um, as, almost as soon as they're made in some cases. Uh, so angering. Look, nobody is an expert on this disease. It is a novel illness. Uh, there are experts on disease in general, uh, but the number of people who are truly experts in COVID-19 is a fairly small cohort of people. And I suspect it's not the people who are working at the FDA, the CDC, 
or the NIH for the large part. Um, they may have a greater amount of background information by virtue of being medical doctors in many cases. But this disease has had some, well, it just does some weird things. It attacks in a weird way. It, um, you know, it, it's been so unpredictable. And rather than showing any humility, uh, governments all around the world have just gone completely batty over this uh, by acting, A, as if they're experts, and then when they're proven wrong, um, well, of course, the, the standard is if somebody has evidence that shows that they might be wrong about something, well, let's censor them because we can't have this misinformation getting out and endangering people's lives. Yeah. Uh, Christian, uh, Christian Perron, who from 1994 until just a few months ago was the chief of, uh, infectious diseases at the university hospital at the university of Versailles in France, and who did in fact, uh, write the government of France's vaccination policy for many years, uh, was thrown out of his job. And uh, even though he's still on staff, he was removed as department head and has basically become a medical uh, non-person in France to a large degree because of his questioning of French government's policy. Um, so it's not just something that we're seeing in the United States where your Facebook post gets removed or whatever. This seems to be a worldwide phenomenon that questioning um, invites ridicule and censorship uh, and if you turn out to be right later, um, well, there's nobody there to get your reputation back. You know, all these people who a year ago were talking about the lab leak hypothesis, um, they were you know, reviled as wacky conspirators. Um, and as it turns out, um, that isn't as wacky as we were told. <laughs> that should have been the first clue is when they were like, well, no, 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 that's not even possible. And that's when I started thinking, huh, I guess this is pretty possible. <laughs> a lab leak? That's just crazy talk. <laughs> yeah, but you're right about the worldwide thing. I mean, it is it is everywhere. I mean, there are plenty of authoritarian governments all, already around the world. Uh, but even like Australia has gone batshit crazy. They have COVID I mean, they, camps now. I mean, that's just absolutely insane. You get arrested if you, you are outside your house. I mean, it's just gone absolutely bonkers over there. And for the most part, people are putting up with it, which I, I just, I really didn't expect that from Australia. Although I wouldn't have expected it to be so uh, easy to do it here either. It probably it wouldn't be, it probably wouldn't have been as easy in either country had it not been for the fact that the last two generations of people going through public education have largely been indoctrinated to do whatever the government tells them to do. Yeah. Wasn't that the left big bugaboo back in like the sixties? Well, that was before they were in power. Right. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, it's, uh, what did Johnny Lydon, uh, um, Johnny rotten say, uh, not too long ago. It's like, I, I'd never thought I'd live to see the day where the conservatives are the ones who are anti-establishment. And, uh, you know, the left are, are the ones that uh, are all snooty and, uh, you know, however he describes it. And the ones who are uh, authoritarian and and trying to uh, make everybody do what they want them to do. 
Yeah, there's certainly been a big role reversal in that. And, of course, now questioning the government is, um, well, as President George W. Bush intimated in his speech on 9-11, it may make you a terrorist. Mm Mm-hmm. Boy, there's been a big sea change in Republicans' attitudes towards George W. Bush in the last week. Well, at least conservatives. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I mean, he was always part of the establishment. It's, that's why people, you know, in uh, 1980 uh, chose Reagan over H.W. Bush. Um, and then when H.W. Bush got in, well, him through the Clinton years and the Bush years, even the Obama years, there wasn't really that much different policy wise. Well, I think we had a lot of disagreements with the Obama policies. In well, general, but, S- such, but I'm talking as, about, such as they were, I'm talking about like the establishment Republicans. I mean, they were the ones who were, uh, you know, I, I like the crease of his pants. And, you know, I mean, th- they were the ones, I mean, Peggy Noonan, uh, you know, establishment, long time. Uh, matter of fact, she was a Reagan speechwriter, wasn't she? Yes, she was. And, you know. She had no problems with Obama. She thought it was a, a, a great thing that he was going to be taking power, that, you know, it's just so smooth and blah, blah, blah. She liked the Good cut info. of that fellow's jib. Yeah. It's, I mean, because he was very establishment. And frankly, the establishment doesn't really give two shits what happens to anybody out in the plebe land. You know, they just want to make sure that they maintain power. That's why they went uh, so apeshit when uh, Donald Trump uh, entered the arena and started calling the shots. I always think of that uh, that scene in um, uh, Moneyball where uh, Billy Bean goes to meet uh, the owner of the Red Sox. And for those who haven't seen the movie, it's it's a true story. And it's basically about introducing saber metrics uh, into how you choose baseball players and field your team, or whatever, which is bas- which are a bunch of statistics, and you kind of get down to a number, you know, for a player to decide whether or not he should fit the team and, and whatever. Um, and so it was started by this guy Bill Bill James, and uh, so Billy Bean, um, a GM of the Oakland A's is going to talk to the owner of the Red Sox about a job, the brand new owner of the Boston Red Sox, right? Who immediately had had hired Bill James. Um, and so they sit down there talking and, and, you know, uh, the owner is telling them how, you know, he a great job he did with such a little budget and he's rattling off the numbers and, you know, Billy's like, yeah. And w- my favorite part is that, you know, look, the first guy through the wall is going to get bloody. And he then gives this little monologue, a short one, about how, uh, you know, it doesn't matter what it is, if it's uh, politics or sports or business, you know, the one guy that comes in and upsets the apple cart, well, they're just going to go crazy and they are going to attack him and they're just, you know, they're going to lose their shit all over the place. But it doesn't mean he's wrong. And it's every time I, I, I think of what, happened with the Washington establishment when Trump won. Uh, I mean, that's a pretty apt description of what, of what happened. They just went absolutely bonkers. They didn't even try to hide it. I mean, they were actively trying to undermine him and pull him down. 
scandal after scandal that they made up, uh, you know, impeached him twice. I mean, this was, you know, like he had intruded a a beehive (laughs) to save the queen. It it was, uh, it was just absolutely, I, I mean, unprecedented. Well, so, I, hope I, mean, the, I hope the next guy through that wall that Trump bowled his way through is a fella who is uh, a little more level-headed, a little less narcissistic, and a little more calculating than Donald Trump was. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I mean, I think it's, uh, I think it's arguable that nobody else but Trump could have, you know, struck the first blow. Um. And he was right, and he made good policy. He wasn't right about everything, but it, his policies were certainly uh, much more in line with, you know, my way of thinking um, than any president really since Reagan, and even more so than Reagan. Um, you know, Reagan tried to work within the establishment. Uh, it, Trump was like, no, 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 you guys suck. Uh, you generals suck. Um, you know, the Congress sucks. All you people suck. You don't know how to do your job. And what's always interesting to me is he, he was always defending the American people. You know, he wasn't defending uh, a government or an agency. He was gov- defending the government, uh, the, the American people from the government, which it's been a very long time since that happened. Um, yeah, but I, I do agree that I hope the next guy, Ron DeSantis is the first one that comes to my mind. He seems to be one that handles, he, he's got the right amount of fight and the right amount of eloquence. Um, and he stays out of the, the, the more dirty phrase. Um, he doesn't create controversy where he doesn't need it, which is, I mean, that's Donald Trump problem uh, right there is he just created controversy that need yeah donald trump's problem was that at every moment of every day he was constantly terrified that someone might not be thinking about him <laughs> i don't know how he could think that i mean he's, he's still living rent-free in their heads yeah, that's true they're still thinking about him and that's the problem and that's desantis's problem and and again with with desantis what we are seeing is really a concerted effort to paint him as another Trump and every bit as dangerous to the Republic as Donald Trump was. Um, Because I think there is at least some suspicion that come 2024, he may be interested in the center seat. And so the best thing to do right now is to uh, just savage him publicly. Well, let's face it. We've seen this movie before. It does not matter who uh the republicans run it can be uh all-around nice guy george bush it can be uh milk toast uh romney it could be the guy who you know all the the washington people uh, the media said they really liked they called him the rogue uh in mccain no matter what they will be called hitler and they will be called, as a matter of fact, the, it doesn't matter who the nominee is. They're going to be, oh, my God, he's even worse than Trump. Guaranteed. Yeah, most likely, because that, and look, as far as I can tell, it it, it works. I mean, Joe Biden is president of the United States. <laughs> yeah. And he got like 100 billion votes or something. Yes, exactly. Um, so doing, 
the thing that really gets me is, and I saw a couple of people who were talking about this earlier this week when they were saying, you know, one of the reasons why I picked Joe Biden was because I wanted, you know, competence and and respect returned to the White House. Well, I got bad news for you. If you thought Joe Biden was the fellow who was going to deliver competence, um, you were sadly mistaken. We're watching a situation, even as we speak, unfold along the border in Texas, where at this point there are at least uh, 11,000 people who have crossed the border and who are just hanging out under a bridge, um, largely from Haiti, how they got from Haiti to Mexico seems to me to be an open question, but okay, uh, it clearly happened, and I don't know what we're doing about it. Well, I do know one thing we're doing about it. We uh, have banned any drone flights anywhere near the area for, you know, security reasons, primarily as far as I can tell because Fox News was there actually flying drones so that we could show it on the news, uh, although rather hilariously, once the... Uh, FAA shut down all drone flights over that area. The Texas Department of Public Safety uh, helpfully volunteered to take the Fox News crew up in a helicopter so that they could continue filming. Mm-hmm. And, of course, as we know, none of these people will ever be vetted or screened. They will have, to, of course, to report to an immigration court at some point up to five years in the future. Um, and... With that, ninety percent of them will. <laughs> yeah, and with with that going on, with the Millie thing, with the FDA coming out today, uh, Joe Biden decides this is time to knock off early on a Friday and head off to the beach. Yeah. Well, you know, he needs his nap time and pudding cups. Yes, or um, perhaps it. <laughs> if he's not running the show, it doesn't really matter where he is. I don't guess. That's true, and the less time he's in front of a camera, the less time he has to say something stupid or act creepy. Oh, and that was the other thing that he, he, he and his administration failed to address today, um, uh, which is the, um, well, we now know that that drone strike that General Mark Milley said was a righteous strike uh, less than two weeks ago uh, turns out to have been a strike largely on civilians and seven children were killed by a drone strike. Yeah, it was on a friendly and, uh, well, we're just going to ignore that and go off on vacation. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting that admission came today on a Friday. Although there's no reason for him to remain in Washington, everybody else is leaving. For example, the ambassador from France. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I, and yeah. Remember when uh, Obama said, well, you know, Joe's uh, great because of all his foreign policy experience. You know, where's that right now? Even though it wasn't so good as... Well, anybody thought being wrong um, about every foreign policy decision made by the United States in the last half century. Okay, I guess that does count as experience of a sort. Hey, Joe, what would you do? Okay, do the opposite of what he just yeah, said. Exactly. Whatever Joe says, <laughs> don't do that. So, so this now I, I suspect that there are a lot of people who are wondering why um, the ambassador to France was recalled. For consultations, of course. Uh, by mm-hmm. the way, even Donald Trump never managed to get the ambassador to France recalled. Um, <laughs> Joe Biden did. And it's 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 one of the weirdest stories ever. Now, it is a story that I've actually been following rather uh, desultorily, but on occasion, 
over the past four years because it's been going on since 2016. In fact, there's a very famous uh, YouTube clip, a clip that went viral, of what may be the dumbest senator in Australia uh, asking their the equivalent of their chief of naval operations about why the Australian Navy needs to buy these submarines from France. But the deal was, and it's a deal that has been in the works since 2014, and indeed, um, uh, one submarine has already been delivered to Australia. Um, the uh, it's the um, I forget what the French name is. I think it's the Surfet class. It's the Barracuda. It's the Barracuda class of submarines uh, that France makes. Now France makes a domestic version of the Barracuda that is a nuclear-powered submarine. They do not offer this submarine to any foreign power. So the deal that that the Australians made with the French government was that they would buy 32 of the diesel-electric versions of the Barracuda to completely replace their current fleet of aging diesel-electric subs. So this is a brand-new submarine. It has a diesel-electric power plant. It also is one of these jet-powered subs. It's the water jet rather than uh, traditional propellers, which apparently reduces cavitation, reduces the submarine sound signature, makes it much more stealthy. Yeah, great deal. So this has been going on for four years. It was four years ago when they actually made the deal. They've gotten their first submarine from France. There's another one sitting in the slipways even as we speak, I I believe. And today, the governments of Australia and the United States announced that uh, they would— And the U.K. And the U.K., uh, announced that they would actually be buying nuclear-powered submarines from basically the United States uh, with some U.K. technology from from their submarines, uh, and that they would be abandoning the French deal. And apparently the government of France knew nothing about this being in the offing. Yeah. So this hit them as a complete surprise, the cancellation of the deal to buy you know, 31 more Barracudas, and they're royally pissed about it. And yeah, by the way, how would you not think they were royally pissed about it? Right. Well, and apparently, I, mean, I don't know if they withdrew their ambassador from Australia as they well. They did. But. They were they recalled their ambassador from Australia for consultations as well. There will be some serious consultations going on, presumably <laughs> all along the Champs d'Elysees uh, over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, th- this was a failure on uh, the United States and Australia's part. I don't know how much. Well, I guess the UK too. I mean, uh, the, the the thing is that I really like the deal that uh, Australia, UK, and and Australia uh, and uh, the United States made. But as far as diplomacy goes, you had to know this thing was in the works, and <laughs> that you're completely pulling the rug out from under the French. Um, I mean, you you've, you should have had some discussions with them about how this was going to work. But they apparently didn't. nobody did. Uh, and it, look, it's hard to blame the Australian Navy because you know if you say, "Hey, would you rather have a nuclear submarine or an old diesel electric sub?" <laughs> well, every Australian naval officer worth their salt is going to say, "I want the nuclear boat." Yeah. Well, especially since this is ostensibly to, uh, you know, to countermand anything that China is doing. Well, I don't know who's more upset about this, France or China. Yeah, well, 
the French will get over it eventually. <laughs> I think the Chinese will. Yeah, the Chinese are not happy with the Australians having a nuclear submarine or a fleet of nuclear submarines. And by the way, neither are the the, the, the Kiwis. The, the Prime Minister of New Zealand came out and she said, well, Australian nuclear submarines will not be welcome in New Zealand. Shut up, Jacinda. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got enough sheep. We don't really need you. <laughs> but uh, the French were pissed off about it, and... Uh, and why shouldn't they be? We apparently worked this deal out with some fair degree of secrecy. And then uh, uh, did we even give them the courtesy? And I, I don't know, of course, but did we even give them the courtesy of announcing that we were going to be making such a deal or that such a deal was in the work? Apparently not. Uh, the, the statement from the from President Macron was that France has been stabbed in the back. Can we dance with your dates? <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> and of course, the Chinese have, have already said that they fear that, that this might destabilize the entire region. Um, look, there's only one power in Asia that's destabilizing the entire region. Right. And it ain't Australia. Oh. Yeah, well, North Korea is, is trying to ramp up again, too, but... I'm sure that's at the behest of the Chinese. I'm sure it is because, you know, um, it's always good if you can get people to look at your right hand while you do the sleight of hand with your left, which is what the, <laughs> which is what the, the Chinese were doing. And speaking of what the Chinese were doing, um, the Chinese sent uh, 28 uh or, or sorry, that was in June. Nineteen uh, aircraft into Taiwan's air defense zone. Yeah. So they're poking Taiwan with a stick. Oh yeah. Well, that's getting. I mean, and after this uh, debacle in Afghanistan, and you know, uh, making nice, nice with the Chinese and all this other stuff. Um, I mean, they're. We're going to push. I, I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they just go after Taiwan very soon. Now, t Taiwan isn't completely defenseless, but uh, I mean, it's a pretty large army that's quite close uh, in China. It, it they could cause some serious damage to Taiwan. Maybe I'm interested in how I, I'd be interested to see how effective. China's armed forces actually are. Yeah, I would too. I mean, obviously their Navy isn't that great, but um, I mean, all they need is some transport ships. I mean, not all they need. And they, they certainly got uh, air power. Um, and I don't know. I, I do kind of wonder about if their Navy is enough to even set up a blockade though uh, of Taiwan. Um, you'd think that'd be easy, but I, I just... I wonder how effective their navy, uh, navy actually is. I wonder how effective all of their armed forces actually are. Yeah. I mean, it's not as if they've had a, an active conflict in in recent history. Well, except internally. <laughs> yeah. But it's a little bit easier to push around citizens than it is uh, 
an actual armed adversary. Yeah. Speaking of China, Nancy Pelosi earlier this week was talking about China, talking about how terrible it was that they were committing this genocide. But, you know, when you put the genocide aside, the big thing is that they work with us on climate change. <laughs> oh, that woman really needs to retire. She was also trashing uh, Republicans over <laughs> in England, uh, calling them a cult. And, uh, I mean, just lambasting them. Well, she does say she's going to retire. She says this is her last turn. Oh, good. Hooray. Of course, she's like 80 years old. At some point, you got to just step down. Yeah, a lot of them don't, though. Yeah, that's true. They stay there forever, which is something we should fix. Yeah, that'd be nice. I saw somebody writing about how, uh, how I, I guess, uh, sclerotic and um, bureaucratized our entire government has become. And you wonder if maybe the 17th Amendment had to go. And I'm just like shaking my head. Like, yeah, that had something to do with it. Um, yeah, that's the source I, I, of a lot of problems. It, it's the, the growth of the bureaucratic state and the, the sheer amount of power that, that it wields uh, is scary. Uh, and that's completely Congress's fault. You know, they, they shove all this power uh, into these into these agencies and make them unaccountable. Oh, and here's the great thing, too. They're not really even accountable by our regular judicial system because each agency has its own uh, Article 3 um, not, not Article 3, uh, Article 1 uh, uh, jurisdiction. So you can't really even go to like a federal court, much less a state court. Uh, if this agency does something wrong, you have to go through their system first. So which, which way do you think that <laughs> those uh, admin judges uh, usually rule? So it, it's, it's near impossible to hold them accountable. And they uh, yield or wield a, a great deal of power over everyday lives. After 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 engaging in an extensive investigation of our activities, we've concluded that we did nothing wrong. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, it's lamentable. But this is what happens when you have a Congress that that. Well, look, this is something we've talked about before. Congress has largely given over many legislative functions directly to the president. I mean, we always say that we have a president, not a king, but I'm not entirely sure how, how true that is anymore. Uh, Congress has done everything they can to make the president a quasi-monarch. Yeah, absolutely. And now we've got one who is uh, completely willing to act that way. Yeah, I mean, take a, take a, a small... Um, uh, it's a government agency, so there's a, 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 a down, a, a lower limit on how small they actually are. But a relatively small and underfunded and fairly toothless government agency is the agency that is now in charge of creating a mandate uh, for vaccinations across all of corporate America. Okay. Yeah, OSHA. Yeah, OSHA. All right, let's see how that works out. Yeah. Which, by the way, well, I, we're up to 25 states who are going to refuse an OSHA mandate and who are planning to sue the federal government as soon as the ruling comes down or the, the rule comes down.
Yeah, Arizona's already uh, sued basically on the, the idea that it doesn't matter what the rule is. You don't have this power, which I, is a direct attack, and I love it. I, I think that's absolutely right. They do not have that power. You don't have the power to force uh, American citizens to inject something into their body. But what about polio vaccines? Well, okay, okay, fine. Those are all state issues. Right. These vaccine mandates are not federal vaccine mandates. Uh, Exactly. Different states may have different vaccine mandates, but states are sovereign entities. They can, through their legislature, enact such mandates. Who can't enact such a mandate is the president of the United States um, acting on his administrative authority over the executive branch. Right. I mean, yeah, there's just, I, I there's suppose, no power I suppose that Congress itself might be able to pass a law that, that, that passes constitutional muster that would implement some sort of vaccine mandate. They arguably have that power because they're the legislative branch. But the president of the United States does not have that power. Exactly. Yeah, so that's what Arizona, that's their theory. And I think it's a pretty darn good one. That, you know, just go you know, nip it in the bud. Go right to the source. Well, the you don't have that. The interesting thing about this is, A, these kind of uh, lawsuits start at the appellate level. And because we have 25 states now who are in opposition to this, uh, we're going to hit basically every circuit in the federal system. I can't imagine that there will not be some sort of conflict in all of these rulings. And, I mean, you have nine circuits, right? So I imagine that one of those circuits, I suspect the ninth, will fully support President Biden. And once that happens, this has to go to the Supreme Court. And I suspect it gets there with all deliberate speed. Yeah, actually, there's 11 circuits. Um, But, yeah, I I think you're right. Oh, yeah, that's right. There's the D.C. circuit. And then there's, okay, yeah, you're right. And uh, I th- and I think um, I think you're right that Arizona um, will presumably and that's in the Ninth Circuit. I wouldn't be surprised if like Utah uh, or Nevada also or Wyoming. These are all in the Ninth Circuit. Um, Idaho, Montana. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if if, if one or several of these uh, uh, sue and lose uh, in the Ninth Circuit. So that's going to create a controversy. You can pretty much expect that, like the Fifth Circuit, that's like Texas is the big state there. I was just about to say, in the Fifth Circuit, however. Yeah. Um, Seventh Circuit would be a little bit of a toss-up, because that's based out of Chicago, so uh, Illinois. Um, uh, But then, like the Sixth Circuit, I mean, usually pretty liberal. Um, Fourth Circuit, kind of. But like the Tenth Circuit, that's uh, Florida um georgia so yeah you're gonna you're gonna see some country you're gonna have um you're definitely gonna have mixed uh opinions which i mean that's pretty much an automatic having a circuit split like that is pretty much automatic going to the uh, supreme court and we can start expecting to see these lawsuits fairly soon although having said that the administration came out and said well look um, this rulemaking thing is super hard, so <laughs> we're probably not going to have a rule that we think we can enforce until 
sometime in the fall of 2022. Is that what they said? I didn't hear that. Yeah, I heard that last week. I was thinking 2022. Wait a second. Are we are we still going to be doing this a year from now? <laughs> yeah. Well, let's guess what even more. What else happens in 2022? Oh, that's right. That would be <laughs> about a right. month and a half before uh, congressional elections. Yeah, so it's it. I, I, I don't know. You know, again, we go back to as as I guess we have to do a lot because it's it's the biggest issue in in as Jeremy Clarkson would say in the world, um, <laughs> COVID, and it's it's use as a political tool rather than as a nonpartisan issue of science and medicine. Well, that's right. I mean, it's become so politicized and really kind of has been from the beginning. And again, this is a worldwide issue. This this was not just here. Uh, this has been all over the world. Um, and a lot of that was due to Chinese secrecy, uh, WHO compliance in that secrecy, and of course, lies. Um, the number of people who were coming down with it and getting really sick uh, enough to like clog up hospitals and stuff. I mean, it, it caused a, a pretty big panic, um, but it seems to be under control. I mean, the, the one thing I keep coming back to is Sweden. Sweden didn't do any of that stuff. They didn't shut down. Um, you know, they just kind of took it in stride. They had a big, uh, you know, wave and they kind of hasn't had, really anything since and I, I think to the extent they did have restrictions they've largely um abandoned them over the past week yeah oh and so has denmark uh, just recently uh, abandoned any more restrictions so and maybe you know different here's, geographic uh, climbs uh, and, act differently i don't know and here's the thing when you look at the graphs of covid cases covid deaths whatever it could be and wow could we have a long discussion about what exactly is a covid case uh, yeah uh nothing that we've done has worked i mean the yeah, lockdowns exactly. the lockdowns didn't work um masking doesn't appear to have worked um the vaccines have had some effect but we're now seeing spikes again all over the world including nations like israel which is is probably the most highly vaccinated population in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of the things that's so confusing about this thing. Everything that we do doesn't work. COVID seems to do what it wants. And for most countries, no one is willing to just throw their hands up and say, you know what? I guess none of this stuff is working. I guess we got to figure out something else. They just double down on the same policies over and over. Oh, well, we're back to masks now. Now you got to wear masks. I honestly don't know if masks help. I got people working in the house um, this week uh, as, you know, we had that that problem. And they've been doing painting and, and drywalling and stuff like that. Um, are, are we masking up? I, I am. I'm, I'm wearing a mask. Do I know if it works? No, I got no idea. Am I falling into, now mine is an N95 respirator, but am I falling into the same thing of using a magic talisman? <laughs> Maybe I am. Because well, the information is so muddled and confusing 
I mean, how do you know what the right thing to do is? Well, and it's not only that. It's, it's what are the statistics telling us? How can yeah, we? Well, how and we that's know, the problem. And what can we trust? I just saw this uh, thing. A, a nurse was talking, saying that look, what we generally do. If someone dies from COVID, we just put them down as vaccinated or as unvaccinated. Okay, I don't, know, don't if, know. Yeah, I don't know if that's true or not. Um, no, she's her in, in implication was even if they're vaccinated, if they die, we just are told to put them down as unvaccinated by the administration. Great. Okay, is that true? I I don't know. I've heard several people in healthcare say it, but are they just passing around conspiracy theories? Are they trustworthy? I, I don't know. I, I don't know how to judge any of their any of their credibility. I, I'd certainly like to know if these number of cases between the vaccinated and unvaccinated, are they being reported correctly? Because what the government is telling me looks okay, um, but I don't know that it's true. And that's my biggest problem with this whole thing. I, I There are so many times I just can't figure out what is true. Um and who do I trust for giving Yeah, that, well, that's been a big deal. You know, uh, Glenn Reynolds is always going on about, and he's, you know, it's a continuing series over at Instapundent about, you know, ha- lo- the loss of faith in our institutions. And they lost it. I mean, we don't trust them because they're not trustworthy. You know, it, it, it's... Uh, well, it's like, it's <laughs> like, the, it's like the, the, the PCR tests where there are mm-hmm. just two different standards for whether you've been vaccinated or unvaccinated for us to tell whether you have gotten COVID again. Um, the tests for the unvaccinated are far more sensitive, an order of magnitude more sensitive. Is that a good policy? To me, it makes me wonder how can I compare apples to apples when I have an, uh, 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 an order of magnitude difference in the test sensitivity. Okay, there's a, a counter argument to that, which is if you've had covid you may have, you know, COVID thingies floating around. And if we give you a more sensitive test, we'll show up many more false positives. Okay, I guess. But I kind of am led to wonder if that's true whenever I see the actual public statements that are coming out by from the CDC and the, the rest of the national health bureaucracy when they tell us things that we just that we know are not true and that they have to rescind later. And when they constantly change their messaging, what, how am I supposed to trust the vaccine when I'm told this vaccine will protect you? You got to take this vaccine and it'll save your life. Indeed. If you don't take this vaccine, you are going to fucking die. Oh, and by the way, uh, unvaccinated people will kill you too. Even if you have. That's right. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Yeah, well, that's that's the problem. And the thing is, you know, look, um, our experts don't appear very expert. Uh, they've been wrong about everything. I mean, just look at like the food pyramid. It's a real simple one, right? Yeah, the government. Been, yeah, the government that that has told me for the past forty years to carb load at every meal uh, is the same government that's telling me now. Oh, but this COVID thing, we're the pros from Dover when it comes to that. <laughs> <laughs> and they're just they're wrong on everything it doesn't matter what the field is they are they're so certain and uh you know they, they just they tell you the, the, we have the evidence we know same thing with climate change we know how it's happening we know what's going to happen oh yeah wrong again wrong 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 
Well, I, just I, I did constantly see, wrong. I did see a, a doctor on YouTube who, who, uh, and I'm sure at least partially tongue in cheek said, "Look, if the CDC tells you to worry about something, forget it. If the CDC tells you not to worry, worry." Right. <laughs> yeah, like they did with Ebola. Yeah, exactly. Don't worry about Ebola. <laughs> well, you know, at least Ebola kills itself before it can transmit itself to millions of people. Well, it's so deadly that it, yeah, that it just, it burns out very quickly. Well, and that's another thing I wanted to bring up about all the masking and, and isolating lockdown and whatever. You know, it's no wonder we keep getting all these different variants. I mean, you, you never get a chance to just let it spread and die out and burn itself out. I mean, you keep it going for so long that it, of course it's going to come up with variants. It, it's going to continue to mutate. Now, one thing we do know uh, um, from science is that the, these types of viruses uh, tend to become milder. They might uh, become uh, more transmissible, but as the different variants come out, they're less deadly. Yeah, that Which tends would to make be the, sense. That tends to be the common course of evolution. They want to um, survive. Survive, and the easiest way to survive is to make people, you know, feel a bit peaked, uh, and to be able to jump to everybody and their brother, but not to kill people. That's why, as we just said, Ebola um, is is a worldwide pandemic of Ebola would be kind of difficult. It seems to me to get kicked off simply because it just kills people too quick. Um, right. You know, nobody's jumping on an airplane with Ebola because about 24 hours after you get it, you ain't jumping on an airplane. Um, <laughs> and so most viruses, in order to survive, become more transmissible and less deadly. So, you know, perhaps COVID in another four or five years could end up being just another, you know, what, what some of the anti-vax people call it now, which is just the flu. It, it might simply become the flu. Well, I mean, it, it, for all intents and purposes, it is a really nasty form of flu. I mean, you got to remember that we have vaccines for the flu, and people still die from it every single year. We don't go into lockdowns or keep kids out of school or shove masks on them and keep them six feet apart uh, yeah, because de- of the flu. Depending on the strain of the flu, between 30 and 90,000 people a year in the United States are, die from it. Right. And so, I mean, it seems to me that's exactly, I mean, it is a coronavirus after all, which is what the common cold is. Uh, you know, it seems to me that it's kind of mutating in that direction towards, you know, a, 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 a nasty flu, which is bad enough, but it's not something that, you know, we need to change our entire lives and arrange our entire lives around. Well, you know, the weird thing about COVID is it's generally not COVID that kills you. Um, But because of the spike protein, the spike protein, certainly in COVID, appears to be fairly cytotoxic. And so what tends to kill you are your body's secondary reactions to the the virus that you have just doing massive amounts of vascular and uh, respiratory damage simply because of the, the toxic nature of the molecule itself. Right. Uh, which is something that the flu doesn't have. So, you know, we, we largely walk away from the flu and we largely walk away from the cold. And we generally don't worry about these secondary uh, inflammatory reactions in the lung or the the uh, the, the cardiovascular system. 
whereas in COVID, those things are what kill you, which, by the way, is why steroids have been so effective against it, because you know, we're reducing that, uh, that inflammatory response. Yeah, and why the, uh, the antivirals and even uh, apparently the, at least some doctors find that ivermectin um, and some of the anti-malarial drugs, at least if, you, if they're used early enough, um, anti-demonial stuff or antibiotics. Yeah, stuff, but even uh, even that data is so mixed. Uh, they just did the the we to, the I think it's the we together study on ivermectin. Now, there's a lot of criticisms about their methodology because they used a much much lower dose than the uh, the Pierre Corey uh, COVID frontline doctors. Not frontline doctors. They're an anti-vax group. Not America's frontline doctors, but the 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 frontline COVID clinical alliance or whatever, the FLCCC that's run by Pierre Corey, who, by the way, fairly respected doctor in his own right, who has actually authored some um, clinical uh, uh, clinical procedures that are now used worldwide. Um, so this We Together study was, had a much lower dosage than the FLCCC protocol. Uh, it is a RCT, a random controlled trial. They found no statistical benefit at all from ivermectin. And so that's been touted as saying, see, we told you ivermectin doesn't work. Meanwhile, on the 10th of the month, earlier this week, uh, well, I guess it's a, a week ago now, the state of Uttar Pradesh, which uses ivermectin both for prophylactic and early treatment of COVID-19, uh, had 33 districts uh, announced that 33 districts were COVID-free. Yeah. So again, we don't know what to believe and what to trust. <laughs> again, my response is okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, and then there's the monoclonal, uh, monoclonal, monoclonal, uh, monoclonal antibodies. That's it. Um, antibodies is that how we're saying it now? Yeah, mo- monoclonal uh, antibodies. <laughs> I saw them open up for uh, <laughs> Pearl Jam one time. Um, anyway, the, the, so the, these things, been, and they have to come very early, apparently, in the process. But they apparently are very, very effective at, if not, um, you know, just getting you through the COVID altogether, at least, uh, you know, calming it down enough that if you need something more, they, they have time to do it. Right. Um and so they've been distributing these things. Well, let's, you know, get back to yeah. Let's let's talk about when you say they've been distributing these things, because that is right. exactly well, they, they didn't. Yeah, but right. that is that is exactly what happened. The federal government bought up Gilead's in Gilead Pharmaceuticals, which makes these particular monoclonal antibodies. They bought up the entire supply of Gilead's monoclonal antibodies. The only people who own them are the federal government. The only people who can distribute them are the federal government. So basically, the distribution of monoclonal antibodies for COVID treatment is now a monopoly of the government of the United States. Right. And I guess, was it last week, um, uh, DHS took over and said, we're, we're going to be in charge. Uh, we're going to increase the weekly amount that we're handing out or distributing by 50%, which was true. Uh, but then at the same time to about seven, uh, Southeastern states, 
they cut in half the amount that they were getting. Right. Uh, including Florida and Texas. Um, and this seems to be an interesting timing with uh, Biden saying that, you know, well, if you're not going to get on board with the, this vaccine ma- mandate, we're just going to run over you. Okay. And now they're going to uh, make your citizens suffer and die. See, now I've got you saying it. What? Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, and this is what, what they're telling me is that um, the life or death of citizens is immaterial when it comes to politics, which I truly believe uh, that politicians, especially in Washington, um, are on board with. They just want the power. Um, and this, that's what this is, a power struggle. So the federal government is going to make uh, red state governors, citizens, suffer so that they can politically uh, undermine these red state governors. And, and what uh, I believe the spokesman today said uh, was that, look, we're going to ensure that all of these monoclonal antibody treatments are, you know, equitably distributed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. New Hampshire and Rhode Island, they get the exact same amount as Florida. Florida. Yeah, exactly. Because that's equitable. Yeah. And Uh, when you look at the list of states who had their supplies reduced, um, I don't know, one can draw interesting political conclusions from seeing that. Yeah, almost inescapable conclusions. Yes, almost inescapable. Um, so it doesn't look like this is, you know, you know, the actual way to distribute this is not equitably. It's distribution based on need. That now, would make a lot more sense to me. What I think is going to be interesting is, and we're already starting to see it happen, to see this shift of um, COVID cases and deaths now shifting from Florida, who apparently got hit by Delta first, and now shifting to other states, yeah, states a little farther north and a little farther east, um, who are now just starting their Delta spikes. Um, but, it, you know, it, it was fun to be able to make fun of Ron DeSantis while it lasted for, you know, killing Floridians. Now that this thing is spreading around and is now starting to hit blue states, now all of a sudden um, uh, it's going to be a lot harder to point at Ron DeSantis as being peculiarly bad at handling COVID. Right. But well, they'll just lie help, about it. But it might help if they have monoclonal antibodies. So, you know, maybe that's the thinking. That maybe they're thinking again, this is all speculation. Uh that that as Delta begins to hit northeastern states, they're going to be needing the monoclonal antibodies more than Florida does. And so they need to be sure that they have that available. It's plausible. They might even come out and tell me that that's exactly what they're doing. And I would nod and say, okay. <laughs> because this that's thing funny. Is, I was just going to say that. Because this thing has just been so confusing. And well, I nothing that confusing. we've done nothing that we've done works. You look at states with mask mandates and states without mask mandates. No the, graphs, the graphs look the same. States that locked down and states that wouldn't lock down, the graphs look the same. What in fact are we doing that is 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 working? Right. Because I can look at a lot of things that don't appear to be working. Yeah, which is pretty much all of it. 
but we're told with utter assurance that this is what's going to fix this problem by people who have no more experience with this novel disease than anyone else in the world. Well, they haven't had uh, this much experience with having this much power over everybody, too. Yeah, that's true. And I think they like it. But it's... it's uh, and, and, you know, the bottom line is that this is... You know, the pandemic oh. is over. There is no yeah. there is no pandemic. This is right. with us forever. This is a fact of life now. And we cannot continue to live the way we have for the last year and a half. It just it, it it can't be done. And all of this this concentration on the the vaccine as the the be all end all, the one cure all that will get us out of this mess. Now it looks like it may simply attenuate this mess because it just keeps pushing it off into the future a little bit until such time as your um, your your vaccine antibodies begin to decline to the point where they are half as effective as they were. Meanwhile, we do we did get a statement today um, that it does appear now that having had COVID, having natural immunity, offers twenty seven times the protection of the vaccine. Right. Yeah. But, uh, and it's and, taken forever to get that out, by the way. People have been talking about natural immunity for months, and the CDC has been completely ignoring it. Yeah. And so, I mean, I, I yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just so confused by this, other than knowing that I just don't trust anything I'm being told by anyone on either side about this disease. And I would have a lot more confidence in my judgment and my risk assessment if I could at least point to some, you know, neutral source of statistics that I could mine myself, which I can't because I don't even know if the statistics uh, are, are being fudged. So it's, it's just nothing more than a mass of confusion. And I think one of the reasons why people are so willing to uh, let the government just take charge of everything is they have come to the conclusion long ago, probably long before I have, that I'm incapable of figuring this out. The only people who have the qualifications to do so are the people at the CDC. So I guess we just got to do what they say. Yeah, I, I don't think I can ever reach that, that stage. <laughs> no, I'm not saying I've reached that stage, although I have reached the stage of utter confusion about how to deal with this thing. Um, but I think a lot of people just not knowing what to do, they just figure, I, I, I guess that's what we pay government people to do is to figure this shit out for us. So I guess we're going to have to wait until they figured it out. Yeah, well, in the sheer amount of uh, panic porn, that the media pushes out and the government pushes out, you know, it, it, it doesn't do us any favors. No, you know, it doesn't. I mean, especially with people who are predisposed to get freaked out by what other people do anyway. Yeah. You know? There's a, yeah, there's the, there's, there's the whole Karen cohort. Yeah. Yeah. And they love having authority <laughs> to uh, make people do what they want. Yeah. And, well, they've been given a great opportunity to exercise that authority, and I'm going to assume that they are going to continue exercising that authority for the foreseeable future until some vestige of sanity returns. Maybe. We can hope. <laughs> yeah, and that's all we can do at this point is hope and just go, 
Okay. <laughs> Michael, you have a great week. We'll talk to Hi, you next you week. Bye, You're listening to Observations Q&O Podcast for Friday, the 17th of September, 2021. We are done with this one. It is in the archives. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks for listening. On behalf of uh, Bruce and Michael, this is Dale Franks. Appreciating your attention to the podcast and uh, hoping that you will be paying equal attention in the future. Until then, uh, until the next time we talk, have a great week, everybody. So long.